Hey, welcome to the New Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Isaac, aka Shrek. Welcome to the New Spirit Podcast. This is the home of interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. Today, fantastic. We're off to Isla Morada, which is part of the Florida Keys, and to rejoin Ed Martin. He was with me a couple of episodes ago where we did the DIY wooden timber gun, uh, spear gun episode and um, kind enough to join me for another interview. This time we dig into his story and background in spearfishing, some of the things he's learned along the way, and we dig deep into sort of spearfishing and, and freediving in the Florida Keys. It's a cool episode. I love it. Uh, before we get there, let's hook into a bit of news, a bit of news from the spearfishing world. Um, just in the last few days, well, the last few weeks now when this goes live, uh, a spearfishing legend has has left the building. Uh, Jay Rife has, uh, has has left us, age 82, um, you know, from California, founded a, an amazing company that makes an amazing equipment. It's uh, changed the face of spearfishing um, and, and, you know, sponsored some amazing divers along the way and, and built some amazing products. Um, Jay Rife, he's, he's, he's no longer with us. So, um, but, I, you know, it's just awesome to... To, to say thank you really uh, for the amazing contribution he made to spearfishing as a whole. So I'm um, sad to see him go, but uh, age 82, he had a good run and he he um, yeah he he did he left a legacy that's for sure. Um, on a lighter note, uh, guy from at vin, at vin underscore bag on Instagram sent me a bag of vino in the mail, just all class. I was thinking. Here comes another cask of goon. They call it in Australia. Um, there's names for wine in a bag all around the world, I'm sure. But absolutely high quality wine arrived in the mail. I was actually trying to go dry, so thanks for that guy. Smashed that whole cask with my housemate uh, and and woke up the next morning and felt pretty good actually. But um, yeah, no, nah, it, it was a good drop. Thanks, man. Um, quick review from Ethan Yo. Uh, he says, the best podcast. Big call, big call. Hey, Shrek and Turbo, when it comes to spearfishing, I'm still such a noob. Ha ha. I'm so glad, though, that my mate introduced me to your podcast a couple of months ago, and since then, I'm pretty sure I've managed to listen to every single one of your podcast episodes. I love the banter between you guys and your sense of humor, especially the weight jokes. Sorry, Shrek, with a winky emoji. It's pretty harsh, Ethan. Anyway, his review goes on, but um, love the reviews, guys. Wherever you listen to the show, if you leave a review, it always helps. And, uh, that keeps keeps the start going. Let's get into this episode. Ed Martin, Florida Keys, loving it. This special episode of the Noob Sparrow Podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. Longtime partners of the Noob Sparrow Podcast, spearfishing.com.au have a listener deal. Use the code NoobSparrow to save $20 on every purchase over $200. Thanks for supporting the NoobSparrow podcast and shopping with spearfishing.com.au. This episode of the NoobSparrow podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at noobsparrow.com forward slash audible. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle or MP3 player. Who uses those? Anyway, noobsparrow.com forward slash audible. All right, welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast. Ed, it's the second time for you. We got lost in the weeds with uh, building spear guns last time. It was absolute fantastic chat. It's great to have you back. Thanks, Shrek. Um, this time, I won't say anything. 
<laughs> nah, man, it's all good. I had a blast chatting spare guns. We got geeked right out, and um, well, I don't even think we scratched your knowledge. So it'll be it'll be cool to talk a little bit more today about that. And I'm really looking forward to digging into today's veterans' fault, which is um, uh, spearfishing in the Florida Keys. So this should be helpful for anyone in that area who's looking to start out spearfishing in the Keys area. So, and uh, whereabouts is Killshot Spear Guns located? So we are located in sunny Isla Morada, Florida. Um, yep. We're at mile marker 81.9. And if, yeah, if you're not familiar with the area, everybody talks about mile markers because we're, um, let's see, Key Largo begins at like mile marker 106 or something mm -hmm. like that. Goes all the way down to mile marker zero. Cool, cool. And you've got a, you've got a shop there. Do you sell everything in there? Um, I, I've got a little bit of everything, um, free diving and spearfishing wise. I don't carry... Um, I, I don't carry regs and BCs and things like that. There's probably 200 dive shops between Key West and Key Largo that carry all that. Oh. Um, but there's, I think there's two shops in all of the Keys that specialize in spearfishing. Oh, sweet. And free diving. So, yeah. Cool. Well, we'll have to name your competitors later in the veterans' fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking with you. Um, look, it's 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 great to have you on the show. You, you're a patron listener. You've been listening to the podcast for a little while, so you know the deal. Um, I wanted to talk about your background, how you got into the water, and um, and and what started this love affair. Oh God, um, when I was a kid, you couldn't get me out of the pool. Um, later on, um, when I was a teenager, I was lucky enough to live in West Africa, and we had I don't know couple hundred miles of beaches and mm. th those beaches didn't have people on so mm. it was pretty cool I, I graduated high school in monrovia liberia it was prior to uh the the civil the the big civil war that they had there wow but it was a it was a really wild place um the the fishing there was off the hook i was given a spear gun back then i think, I think it was like 1984 i was given a spear gun i was 16 years old and it's, it's, it's funny, I, I had this crappy little pipe gun with two bands on it and, and uh, didn't really know what I was doing with it. And the guy that gave it to me, um, he was an avid diver, but he's like, just get in the water and shoot fish. <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, we lived on a river, so the viz was like, you know, I don't know, five feet, ten feet. It was miserable. Um, there were probably huge sharks in the, in the water, but we never <laughs> saw them. So um, they didn't exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we were we were actually more afraid of, of crocodiles, but again, yeah. we never saw them, so they might not have existed. What about equipment and um, and and early species? <laughs> uh, well, I had this Voigt spear gun, which was junk, but I, I my parents were very supportive of, of pretty much anything I ever wanted to do, and I was a nearsighted kid, you know, four eyes, mm. and. Um, they took me when we were back in the U.S. Um, before we went to Africa. They took me into a, a dive shop and they got me set up with a a mask with prescription lenses in it. Um, so that was awesome. Oh, wow. um, I think it was a big old um, U.S. divers back when U.S. divers was actually a decent company and not selling total junk. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I got a U.S. divers mask. I had some Dacor diver fins. I remember Decor, or we called them Decor in New Zealand. Yeah. That company's gone, isn't it? Yes, finally. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had those I had those fins until I was 30. I think I threw them away when I was 35. So to, to give you, I mean, so I, I got them when I was 15, and they lasted until I was 35. That's pretty good. 
That is pretty good. Then, of course, I had a snorkel. But that was it. I had no clue what I was doing. And mm. Uh, mm. we had mangrove snapper in the river. And occasionally, I'd get lucky and shoot one. But for the most part, the river was really hard to fish. If you went up near the river mouth, the spearfishing got a lot better. But I wasn't able to get up there very often. Um, okay. The the visibility was pretty good up there. It was 15 to 20 feet. Yeah. Um, right. And I remember popping a barracuda one time. And thank God the flopper did not engage um, <laughs> because that, that fish would have kicked my butt. They tear people up too. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I had no clue what I was doing. Hmm. And, you know, I reached out and pulled the trigger, hit the fish, and he, he ran off. And, um, you know, but he was all the way at the end of the, the line. And, man, I, I, I had no clue what I was doing. I probably, probably would have lost the gun. I've seen a guy, uh, a guy up on the Sunshine Coast here in Queensland, and he, he was attacked by one he shot. It, it first went for his friend, and then it ended up burrowing into like his groin, like near his <laughs> femoral artery and his junk, and somehow missed all of all of it narrowly. And uh, but jeepers, what a horrible experience! Like um, that, bloody dangerous if you don't have really good shot placement. Oh yeah. Well, that, that's one of those days when you pray for cold water. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'll tell you, that's, I, I shoot barracuda all the time, and um, I'm careful about them. And, you know, you really have to respect that mouth. Um, but I've never had one come at me or, you know, really, I guess, kick my ass. I'm in, it, it's probably more luck than anything else. So, so how, did, how did you learn? Like, I'm... I'm taking it you didn't have like a spearfishing club there and 18 instructors. No, I was I was the only kid on the block that had a spear gun. Yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a big sport there. Um, I put it up when I went to college and um, I went to University of Texas and, and just kind of put it away. And I didn't get back in the water and start spearfishing again for almost oh god, 15 years. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't until I was in my my 40s. Um, no, I take it back. I was in my 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 thirties that I started okay. spearfishing again. It was one of those things where I went out and uh, decided I was going to get back in the water. My my kids were were old enough to where they didn't need constant attention. My wife was busy, so mm. my days were free. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so I'd go out and you know when whenever I was at home, I'd go out and go go diving. How did you find that? Did it make an impact on your life again? Oh, of course, yeah. For for me, spearfishing is, uh, well, not spearfishing, but diving is hmm. a total, I totally relax in the water. It's it's kind of weird because, you know, there's things that you're kind of apprehensive about and things that will startle you, but I'm in the moment. Hmm. I'm thinking about the next 30 seconds of my life. I'm not worried about my mortgage or, you know, what somebody did to me at work or you know, what mm. my deadlines are. This is the bond we share, I think, like um, every, everyone that's in love with spearfishing. It's cool to hear your experience. So you rediscovered it again later in life. And um, and and did the obsession start annoying people immediately or did that come on gradually? Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm able to annoy people almost instantly. Uh, so, um, no, it, um, funny story. It, at the time, we were. I was trying to dive as much as I could, and I lived up in Fort Myers. And the, the the diving wasn't bad, but I really enjoyed living in or diving in the Florida Keys. And I kept trying to figure out a way to get back to the Florida Keys. And one day, I my wife and I were talking, and 
she decided to come down with me for the weekend and we found a studio. Um, it was an art studio that she could put her business in. Okay. And at the time I was a consultant. So all I needed was an airport and Miami airport's 70 miles away. That's I can go anywhere. Mm. Uh, that was perfect for me. So we literally walked into this art studio, looked around, kind of kicked the tires. 30 minutes later, I was writing a check for the first year's rent. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I was coming. And, yeah. uh, you know, three weeks later, we moved down to the Keys. Now, I was very disciplined. <laughs> I left all my dive gear in Fort Myers uh -huh. um, for the first three months. And I did it because I knew that the second that I brought it down, that would be it. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be off the hook. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, as it was, my wife and I would go go snorkeling almost every evening as soon as we were done with work. You know, we go out oh, behind the cool. house. Oh, yeah. So she's got all kinds of great stories about being a, you know, terrified of barracuda and running into turtles and seeing tarpon. And hey, yeah. sick. that's cool. So, so she she sort of shares a love for the water. Yeah, she does. She she won't admit it. Um, you know, she she tries to tell everybody that she's afraid of it, but she's not. You know, you, you get her in the water and the second that her brain begins to relax a little bit, she doesn't, you know, think about the man in the gray suit anymore. So mm -hmm. she's a child of Jaws. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 affected a, generations of people, those movies. And uh, sometimes we're glad, you know, when like the selfish spear fishermen and us, I think we're out in the water and no one's out there because they're terrified of sharks. And sometimes you don't even want to dispel the, their fears. You, you just you're happy to have it to yourself. Um, but yeah, Jeepers, it's 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 really affected, you know, the paradigm of, of, of you know, millions of people. So, oh, yeah, it's bizarre. Well, yeah, and you know anybody that spearfishes has seen sharks, and and you realize mm. immediately that they're not going to come in and eat you. You know, there's that chance that things could go wrong, but you know, I, I look at some of the crazy crap that's happened out there, and I still have all my fingers and toes. So yeah, <laughs> and and I know darn good and well that if if they decided that I was on the menu, um, I'd be shark shit by now. Yeah. So. For, for, for guys starting out that are afraid of sharks or guys that come into the shop and they're asking you about sharks, what do you kind of say to them? <laughs> um, dive in bad viz so you don't see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the funny thing. Like when you're in, you know, five metres, 15 feet or less of viz, your chances of seeing a shark are quite remote, but they're there. They're just out beyond it. But then that makes the fear worse for people because it's like, and, and I find this the same, but like when you're surfing, I was always kind of worried about what was going on under the water. But then when you, when you and when you get your head in the water, I love being able to see what's underneath me. But, um, and that's a good thing. Like you can kind of manage sharks where you know where they are and what they're doing and you can look at their body language and monitor them. But when you, when, when you've got crap viz, you can't see anything. Oh, Absolutely. So when I get people that, that walk in the shop and or when I get people that are first time spear fishermen, we have the shark talk. And the worst thing you can do is tell somebody not to worry about it because there's going to be a bull shark. The, the second they shoot a fish, a damn bull shark is going to come in and attack that fish mm -hmm. um, if, if they're not prepared for it. And if it doesn't happen that day, it's going to happen sooner or later. Um, but what I, what I always tell everybody is, is number one, you face the animal, you get your gun out in front of you, and you keep it between you and the shark. Mm -hmm. And if, if he comes in, um, you know, give him a poke. Mm -hmm. You know, don't try to poke the animal, but if he swims into it, don't be shy. You know, give, yeah. give him the business end. Um, never 
hit them with the butt end of the gun, um, that animal weighs 200 pounds, 300 pounds, and now you've got a sharp, pointy object right in your face. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a horrible idea. So you give them the business end. Um, yeah. the, the other thing that I, I remind people of is that when we go to McDonald's and we pull up to the drive-thru, we don't accept to be, expect to be shot and stabbed um, <laughs> or, or murdered for our dinner. Yeah. Um, sharks, on the other hand, every time they eat, they have to kill something. And mm-hmm. it's very much a life or death thing for them because they potentially can get hurt. And if they get hurt, they may die. So you have to think about things a little bit differently when you're dealing with an animal, um, well, with a wild animal that potentially is dangerous. So, mm. you know, I've never intentionally hurt a shark, but mm. I have definitely stuck a few with a spear gun a, a couple of times. Yeah. And uh, it's, it discourages them. Like, yeah. even though you're not hurting them or wounding them in any way, just that active fact of, oh, he could potentially hurt me then they, they are a bit more wary of you. And that's all you need in order to spearfish around them effectively is a little bit of respect. Even though they could crush you and just absolutely destroy you, if they are slightly worried about any form of risk from you, they're probably going to leave you alone. Yeah, exactly. And mm. then the other thing I tell people is don't look like prey. Mm. Uh, if a shark comes in, keep your, keep your eyes on it, face toward the shark, because you can you potentially can manage it with your hands and your spear gun. Mm. Um but if you turn around and you start swimming toward the boat, you know, you don't run away from a dog mm, um, mm. because you, you trigger that prey instinct. And mm. uh, there's, a, there's a guy I spearfish with from time to time, and, and he's, he's afraid of sharks. And we had one come in one day, and it, it circled us. But he wasn't being particularly – he was just coming in to check us out. Mm. And we had shot a couple of fish, so they were, they were kind of keyed up. But he was being polite. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I turn around and I look, and all I see is white water <laughs> as he's swimming back to the boat. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Jesus, you know, okay, good. Now I'm all alone. Thanks. You know, but I've, I've had the same. <laughs> yeah, I've had the same exact same situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, it's understandable and I empathize with it. But that back to back with your mates, even if there's a big, a big school of sharks. So you've got yeah. three, maybe three or four or more and they're all aggressive and they've got that bloodlust up. You can still manage them sometimes. Not all the time. Sometimes it's just crazy shit. But those, 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 times that that happens it seemed to be few and far between unless unless maybe they're out 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 from you chasing shooting cobia off huge bull sharks for some reason oh yeah the uh the the shark shark shield's a great piece of kit um it i really believe that it works and it works well and i also believe that it doesn't affect fish um because i've had fish come in and just swim right over top of me while i've been wearing it and it's been on and they, they just don't care but with, with sharks, and i give you a, my most recent one, um, we were out a few weeks ago on, on one of the wrecks, and it's well known to, to have sharks on it. And the guy shot a, a big jack, and seconds, I mean three, four seconds, there were four bull sharks on this, on this jack. Mm. And he was right underneath the boat, so he went, he just climbed on the boat. And I'm sitting there looking at the boat, you know, I'm 30, 40 feet away from it, thinking, oh, great, you know, <laughs> this, this is going to suck. And uh, so I reached down, turned on the shark shield, and then I just swam away from the boat. Mm. They came over. They swam underneath me a couple times, but they never got within 20, 30 feet of me. Mm. So, you know, they, they didn't come up and, you know, close to investigate or anything. And then I, you know, once they, they kind of left the area, I swam back over to the boat and I asked who was going to continue to spearfish. Mm. And, of course, there were no takers. 
<laughs> With the shark shell, do you tie it around your ankle and run it down one side of your fin channels? I just let it hang off my ankle. Okay. So I, I wear carbon fiber fins, and yeah. carbon fiber is a wonderful conductor. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so it, you, you'll get a, a minor shock from time to time if you get to kick oh, in the... the so the, annoying. Yeah. <laughs> So, I've, but, I've used to dive with a mate and he had it and every time I'd swim behind him I'd get it and it's just you know you're in this zen freediving state on the surface and then all of a sudden you get buzzed it's uh, it's not pleasant even though it's a very small current I hate electricity so oh, I know oh, I do yeah. too yeah, yeah it drives yeah. me nuts yeah. so my, my favorite thing is most of the guys I dive with um, we've either got aluminum ladders or, or we've got an, an aluminum bracket that the engine sits on and yeah. we hoist ourselves out of the water on it. So I'm sitting on the transom. I've got my feet hanging over the side, and my shark shield is sitting there laying on the engine bracket. One <laughs> of my dive buddies invariably will swim up, grab a hold of it, hoist himself up, and he's like, "Why am I getting shocked?" Like, sorry. Oops. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm yeah, really I feel sorry. bad. Yeah. What 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 boats are you guys diving off there a lot? Um, make some models if, if you like sizes, all the rest of it. Um, I, I think kind of the, the perfect boat for the Florida Keys is is like a 25-foot center console or even a 25-foot cabin uh, cabin boat. You know, it, something that's set up for fishing is probably best because you're going to get blood all over the inside of the boat um, mm. when you're tossing fish in it. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, I, like one of the guys has got a Parker. I've got a boat that's called a Down Easter. Mine okay. is – my boat was made in 19 – I don't remember, 19 – 96 i think and i i rebuilt it about five six years ago but yeah for the most part people are running center consoles anything over 30 feet is pretty big you know you're sucking more gas um it's costs a little bit more to run you know so like my boat i've got a single 200 horse engine on it and the boat's 25 feet long and it's got a 10 foot beam so it's it's big and roomy but i don't need a lot of power i don't need to go 50 miles an hour to go out to the reef you know, I'm, I'm fine chugging out there at 25 miles an hour and or 25 knots and, yeah. uh, you know, dropping my divers in the water. So and, and how long are you motoring out for from where you are? So in our area, we've got some some funky regs because everybody hates spearfishermen. We have to go out three miles and fish in federal waters in, oh, in wow. my, my immediate area. If you go 10 miles down the Keys, you can spearfish from shore. Oh, okay. So if you're further north of us, you know, about 10 miles north of us, you have to be in 600 feet of water. Oh, wow. Or maybe maybe it's 300 feet. But it's you've got to be like, I don't know, eight miles offshore or some baloney like that. That's terrible. Oh, yeah. it's it, What it does is it puts an enormous amount of pressure on the periphery of that area. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because people, they, they run out of that area, and they go a mile, two miles past past the boundary, and then they shoot the crap out of everything that's there. We're going to hook um, more into Florida Keys in the Veterans Vault today. I wanted to sort of go back and maybe get a, a really memorable um, fish for you, like, um, you know, the, the stork, the, the species. You know. Sure. Okay. Um, I got a couple. One of the ones that I'm happiest with, um, it wasn't a particularly prestigious fish. It was like a a 25-inch mangrove snapper, which I, I think is pretty similar to your mangrove jack. Yep, yep. You know, they're very similar. It's a, a proper snapper species. They can be fairly wary, particularly when they get big. But this one was all by itself. And when I dive, I tend to look for structure. And I think I was in 15 meters of water. Okay. 
and I, I saw what I thought might be some good-looking structure down there. So I dropped down, and I looked at it, and I, I saw a couple of fish, and I, I kind of I, – I had no intention of shooting anything on this particular dive. And as I looked toward the – there was a little ledge, and uh, I saw this tail poking up on the other side of the ledge, and I thought, damn, that's a big snapper. So I kind of swam over a little bit closer to get a good look at it, and I, first I thought it was a mutton snapper. And, mm. but then I realized it was, it was a big mangrove and it was for us, that size mangrove snapper is pretty big. Mm. Um, so I, I was excited about it, but I didn't want to rush the shot. And so I backed away from the ledge and, you know, uh, came back up to the surface, did my breathe up, dropped back down. I'm sitting there and I'm looking for that damn fish and I can't find him anywhere, <laughs> but there he is. He, he, he had actually moved down about 10 feet, and he was behind some, some sea rod, and I just couldn't see him. Mm. And all of a sudden, I, I see him. He has no clue I'm even there because, you know, I've got perfect, perfect setup. Um, he cannot see me. So mm. I kind of lean around the side of that sea rod and pop him and rolled him right over. And it was one of those moments where I, I set the stock up properly. I handled everything right. Um, I was patient and everything came through and I, I wound up putting a real nice fish in the boat and yeah, awesome. Uh, yeah. A good size mangrove snapper is 20 to 22 inches and a 25 mm. incher. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's not newspaper worthy, but it's, it's a pretty fish. Mm-hmm. So, so the stoke factor was high. Yeah. They look a little bit like a mangrove jacks, I guess. And, um, sort of similar to a Cubera. They're a, yes. Yeah. If you guys yeah. have Cubera, that's, very, very similar. No, nah, we don't have Cubera here either, um, but it's just kind of how I associate um, them all. So, so um, yeah, you guys have got some intriguing species over there. Um, again, I want to dig into that in the veterans' fault. Um, what, what's your favorite species to hunt, and um, how do you hunt them effectively? Ooh, well, let's see. Uh, mangrove and, and mutton snapper are kind of my favorites. Um, mangrove snapper tend to hang around in, in groups, might be three, four fish every now and then they're solitary, but usually three, four fish up to several dozen. And then with mutton snapper, they tend to be pretty solitary and muttons are very smart fish. They're fast swimmers. They're incredibly strong. You get two kinds of hunts. You'll drop down to the bottom and you'll throw up some sand and the mutton snapper will swim right into the end of your spear gun and you kill him. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then the other kind of mangrove snapper, you see him from the surface, you chase him 100 yards, he goes into a rock, you drop down, and he darts out the other side. You know, it's some of them are just incredibly uh, spooky. And muttons, or mangrove snapper can be difficult to hunt because the school, when the school gets nervous, then the, the game is on. You know, it's really hard to get close to them. Mm-hmm. So then it, then it becomes an issue of trying to put structure between you and them or chumming them in, or um, sometimes I'll use other species of fish. I'll put those fish between me and the mangroves. Yeah. And when the other the other fish come over and look at me, um, the mangroves will like, hey, what's he looking at? And they come mm. swimming over. So, you know, sometimes you got to use their curiosity against them. Yeah, yeah. You've identified like half a dozen techniques there that are pretty popular sort of in different spots for hunting reef fish particularly so i love hiding in a school of of something else um and hope that you know due to that school sort of you know when they're not afraid of you it makes the other species come in a little bit it's a it's a great technique cool toughest situation i mean we've chatted a bit about sharks and stuff um 
What's something that scared the crap out of you? And, um, you know, so what did you take away from it? The first one, I, I went off the back of the boat uh, one day. I, I was scuba diving. I was, I was an instructor at the time. And uh, we were doing a wreck dive. And uh, I was on the end of the group to make sure that divers didn't get separated. And yeah. when I went off the back of the boat, being the smart ass that I am, I did a somersault. <laughs> and everybody else is in the water. The customers didn't see it. No big deal. When I did it, I knocked the purge valve out of my regulator. Ah. It, I didn't knock it out. That's, um, I, I folded it over and uh, with the force of the water. And my yeah. regulator flooded. Free flow? Or? No, no, it, it didn't. The, the regulator flooded with water. Oh, yep. So I go and I go to take a breath. And all that water goes into my mouth, hits my larynx, and my larynx slams shut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, total laryngeospasm. And I've, I've had it happen a couple of times, um, but this this was by far the worst. I sat there, and the first thing I did was I panicked. I was like, oh, you know, I'm totally screwed. I can't mm. breathe. You know, I threw mm. my regulator off. You know, I'm sitting there rejecting my gear. You know, I, I lifted my mask up so I could breathe, try to breathe through my nose, which hmm. I'm doing everything wrong. And I yeah, know yeah. So I thought to myself, what should I do? And I couldn't couldn't utter a word. I mean, no air was going in. None was coming hmm. out. So mm -hmm. you can't talk. The captain has already turned and is walking away. He's walking back up toward the center of the boat. So there's nobody there to help me. So I, I realized it and I calmed myself down and I, I thought to myself, what does my training say to do? And I just relied on my training. You know, you put your regulator in your mouth, you know, and after about, I don't know, probably 20 seconds, I was able to squeak some air in. And, you know, 30 seconds later, I was able to, you know, breathe fairly normally. And at about the three minute mark, I headed on down and go dive the wreck. So yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, that first 10 seconds was just pure panic. That made me think of that famous old quote, and I quickly typed it in. Um, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. So <laughs> it, obviously you defaulted uh, eventually when you got over the panic to that baseline of training that you had. Um, do you encourage people to take a similar mindset with freediving? Do, do you recommend they go and do a course? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm a freedive instructor, and I've... I've had a lot of days out on the water watching things go well and some days where they don't go well. Um, and I've gotten to dive with, I get people that walk in the shop and they're like, Hey, I got a 30 foot boat and we're going to go today. And it's flat calm. Do you want to go? Um, sure. Mm -hmm. Why not? You know, so I don't even know these people and I'm going out on the water with them. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to be very, very careful about, you know, how you're diving out there. But mm -hmm. yeah, I always, I encourage everybody to take a free dive course. The, the safety alone is, is priceless. And if you get a good instructor that teaches you things like what you're really doing during a breathe up, you know, mm. it's not so much that you're oxygenating your blood. What you're doing is, is you're relaxing. Yeah. 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 Everyone thinks it's just this elaborate, um, breathing, but, um, I was chatting with Adam Stern the other day and he was saying they've just gone all the way back to tidal breathing, which is, you know, more or less just get, getting your body into a really relaxed state before you take your final breath and descent. And, yeah. uh, it's funny how the school of thought has changed. I think, um, I remember all the way back in one of the very first interviews we did, you know, like Simon Tripp talking about learning about levels of relaxation. And I just think like, there's just, 
you reach another level of understanding with how much how important relaxation is and yeah um it's just it's it's everything with with freediving you know it's it's crazy i so one of the tips that i learned and i, I learned it from ansvar musasalov or anvar mufasalov yeah 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 there you go yeah. um I, i'd like to buy a vowel so <laughs> he he is amazing and yeah, yeah. Uh, i i really admire uh, the way that he dives. And mm. uh, I, I've listened to a couple of interviews with him and him talking about becoming a jellyfish mm. was like the one thing, well, it's one of two things that really stuck with me. Mm. The other was he was talking about how when he dives, um, you look at somebody's legs when they're laying on the bottom and if they're curled up, you know, our, our natural our natural body position is for our legs to be up so that we can kind of maintain our balance. Mm. Well, why don't you set your fins down and just relax your legs? So what I do when I when I go out and I'm getting warmed up is I drop down to the bottom and I lay my legs down. And then I lay there for 10 seconds. If, have you ever tried that? That's a good little micro goal. I think at times in my spearfishing, when, I'm, when I haven't got like that scarcity mindset, you know, that we're all victim to, like I haven't been spearfishing for a month. Um, I've just got to get out there and shoot a fish. When you can kind of escape that sort of little mental trap, um, I have done things like that, but only probably on my best behaved days. Ah, yeah. See, I, I do it. it. It's part of my warm up when I when I go out and I do it. And it's it's like when you do a free dive course. I always tell everybody um, when you're doing your pull downs, mm-hmm. when you stop, you want to orient yourself so that you're you're right side up, um, you know, but you're horizontal. Put your legs straight out behind you and then try to relax them. Yeah, nice. And, and if, if they do that, nine times out of ten, their breath hold goes from 30 seconds to a minute. Just boom. Yeah. It's it's amazing. And, and and what it is is that they just, they just relaxed. Um, mm. You know, they don't realize that's what they've done, but that's what they've done. So cool. yeah, I think it's it, it's really – for me, that was one of the things that he talked about doing. And that and the, the whole, you know, be a jellyfish thing. I was like – so I when I'm out there, I – try to be as limp and you know be that wet noodle yeah he's a he's a mad dude he's got a a spearfishing there's a deep deep spearfishing encyclopedia i think is his yeah. youtube channel he's fantastic um had him on the show in the early days um he's a really interesting dude so yeah good takeaways from anvar We interrupt this Noob Spiro podcast to bring you a public service announcement. These shows are often explicit and filled with ridiculous levels of stoke and actionable info. For more stoke, head over to noobspiro.com forward slash more stoke and join the Floater newsletter, an intermittent publication overflowing with spearfishing goodness. That's noobspiro.com forward slash more stoke you're welcome hey guys today's podcast is brought to you by freedivingsafety.com it's powered by ted hardy from immersion freediving he won an award and he decided to create something that could help the whole world every single person wanting to get into freedive spearfishing there's a whole bunch of foundational principles and knowledge that you can learn at freedivingsafety.com it'll help you to catch more fish and have more fun believe it or not it's not just a safety course this is practical information in there for helping you to not only manage the risk but to have more fun and look after your mates and yourself check it out freedomingsafety.com 
Let's hook into Veterans Vault. Let's get into spearfishing in the Florida Keys, if that's okay. Sure. So let's establish some sort of some basics. I guess, um, so you're in the Florida Keys. Um, it sounds like the, the, the northern half of the Florida Keys, you, you actually need a boat. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Okay. And then the southern half, you don't. You can short of. You can. Um, it's tough. Um, okay. It, and I'll, I'll explain why in a sec. But uh, yeah, for the, for the northern part, you definitely need a boat. And we're in an area called Monroe County. So Monroe County has got a spearfishing flyer. Um, it's, I, I'm trying to read what it says on the wall. I think it's Monroe County Spearfishing Regulations or something like that. Um, you know, you, you can call the shop and I'll, I'll give you the, the link to it. Um, okay. In fact, what I'll try to do is um, remind me and I'll... I'll, send it I'll, put it, I'll put it in today's show notes. So if we go to noobspiro.com forward slash ed, E-D, um, I'll link up anything we chat about today, including kill shot spear guns. Perfect. Yeah, so it's um, it, it pays to read that. We have FWC down here, which is Florida Wildlife Commission. Those guys don't screw around when it comes to passing out tickets. Now, I, I know all those guys. They're really nice guys. In fact, half of them live in, in my condo complex. And every time I see him, I always tell him the same thing. Yeah, guys, I'm going out and I'm shooting small fish today. Um, <laughs> but but it's, it's funny a, when you're a shit stare. <laughs> uh, when when they board the boat, they they all they want to do is look in the cooler because they want to see what what we shot. Yeah, you know, yeah. They know that we're not out there poaching, but uh, mm. but they they don't have a lot of sympathy for people that are taking fish out of season um, or that are taking short fish. So. You need to know your species, and you need to uh, you need to know the regs. So the way it works is basically from Key Largo to Molasses Reef, you've got to be out like 600 feet or something like that. From Key Largo south to the south end of Long Key, you have to be out three miles, and there's no fishing in the backcountry or in Florida Bay in that area. Okay. Once you're south of Long Key, you can spearfish on either side of the road. But some of the best places to spearfish are in these deeper channels um, near the bridges. But most bridges are um, – you either are dealing with extreme currents of two to five knots. Mm. Um, and, you know, you can't swim against two knots. And five knots, you may as well just buy, wave bye-bye. You'll be in Cuba before long. Um, <laughs> with uh, – the other thing you got to watch out for is the boats um, mm. in, in those passes. Um, the, the boats – some people pay attention to what's going on in front of them, and there's a whole bunch of people that don't. Yeah. So, yeah. and you know, the one th I, I don't worry about being bitten by a shark or uh, stung by a stingray. I, I worry about getting run over by a boat. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's 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 kind of my my boogeyman out there. But that's fair. Yeah. But but there are some places that you can go now. As far as the water goes, you're going to be in about two meters of water at the most right offshore. Okay. And it's going to stay two meters until you're probably a thousand yards offshore, and then oh. it'll slowly drop drop off. So, but uh, the reef begins about four to five miles out, and oh. uh, you know the, it comes up to about twenty five feet, let's say um, seven meters, eight meters. You know it will slowly drop off over the next half mile um, to about sixty five feet, and then it drops almost straight. It drops off at about a forty five degree angle down to about a hundred. So, so boats are more or less um, mandatory. Yeah, for the yeah for the main reef. Now there is some good. There can be some good spear fishing near some of the mangroves, but um, you can south of Long Key. 
a kayak can get you out there. So can a paddleboard. Okay. Um, because you, there are some channels near some of the uh, the islands um, that will hold uh, mangrove snapper and muttons and even grouper certain times of the year. Okay, cool. All right, so we get out to the reef. What what, what are the, some of the other species we're, we're encountering out there? What are the sort of maybe the three everyone starts on? Um, everybody looks for hogfish. Yeah, yeah. Hogfish, they, they're delicious eating, and they're they're probably the dumbest fish on the planet. They look they look radical. I love the look of them. Like sitting over here in Aussie, I look at the hogfish pics, and I'm just like, I want one. Yeah, what you guys have got a fish. Um, I see people shooting it over in New Zealand. It's um, it's got that down downward snout too, and I can't remember what it is all of a sudden. Oh, the, the uh, boarfish. Yes, boarfish. Mm-hmm. So now I, I don't know how boarfish behave, but um, these these I, things are ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you've got you've got hogfish. Grouper are really big on everybody's menu around here um, mm-hmm. on the reef, and we've got black grouper and red grouper that you're allowed to shoot. Um, the reds might get up to as much as maybe 15 pounds, okay. um, uh, but the uh, black grouper can get up over 100. Oh, wow. Yeah, they, they get quite huge. Um, we took two this year that were just over 40 pounds. You know, 20, what is that? Um, not 20, but probably 17, 18 kilos. Yep. So, you know, they, 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 were, they were big fish. And now the thing with these fish is, is as soon as you shoot them, if you don't stone them, they are looking for a place to hide. So I tell people all the time that when I hunt grouper, I hunt grouper in 60 feet of water or less. There's a couple places where we'll go out and we'll try to shoot them in 80 and 90. Hmm. We always have a scuba tank on board yeah. because if that, if that fish gets, gets rocked up, I'm not going to do 10 dives to 90 feet trying to, trying to drag him out of, a, out of the reef because yeah, I'm yeah. going to black out. Straining when, you, when you're down deep is never a good idea. Obviously, oxygen consumption, but the other thing is um, – uh, lung squeeze and all the rest of it. Very um, true. Get, get yourself in trouble down there. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that happens is oftentimes you'll have sharks that'll come in and, you know, even if you if you claim not to be affected by that, they make your heart rate go up. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Bit, especially when you're down deep and alone and there's, a, and, there's a, and there's a fish wriggling around somewhere that the shark wants to eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm, mm. Now, something I've done before, <laughs> we had one... We had a uh, a mangrove or not a mangrove a uh, a grouper that got stuck in a hole and we were having a hell of a time getting him out and we had a bull shark that kept swimming in and what we were really afraid of is is that when we had our back to him he might come up and take it take a nibble on somebody so I took the shark shield and I dropped it down the uh, the the reel line and it wound up right there on the shaft. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so we just left it laying there in the sand, and that shark stayed 30, 40 feet away. And then finally he gave up, and he just he just left. Oh, nice. But it kept him away. So um, those shark shields can pay off. <laughs> mm. So we've got hogfish and groper. I, I mean, the other thing with groper is, yeah, they hold up. But the other thing is they're pretty slow growing. Um, are they sort of a – are they quite a good – in a good numbers there, though? Um, so I don't shoot very many black grouper um at all i only let's see i took i myself only took one this year but i know a lot about their growth rate um and i think that they're that we're taking them when they're too small um and of course i you know i'm going to say something crazy that's backed up by science too Mm -hmm. um so a grouper 
tends to be about 12 years old and 26 inches when it reproduces. And we're allowed to take 24-inch black grouper. Mm. So we're taking fish before they reproduce. Now, here's the really crazy thing. They're all females. They don't become male until they're like, um, I don't remember, 18 years and like 40 pounds or something like that. Oh, wow. So these, and, and they don't all become male when they get that big. Yeah. So when we're taking these 40, 50, 60 pound fish, they're a whole lot of fun to shoot. They're, um, you know, but we're removing something from the, from the ecosystem that is going to take 18 to 20 years. To replace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And consequently, I shoot a lot of snapper and I shoot snapper, jacks and trigger fish like they're going out of style. <laughs> but, you know, snapper, um, a, a mature mangrove snapper that's say 20, 22 inches, that thing's less than three years old. So, yeah, right. yeah. so it's, you know, they, they grow a lot faster. And then if, you know, during certain times of year, we go after Wahoo primarily in the winter. And I think a 50 pound Wahoo is like less than two years old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is one thing don't, people don't realize. It's like, you know, the greenies get on and slam people on Instagram for holding up these big trophy pelagic fish. But, you know, like those, some of those things are the fastest growing and reproducing fish in the ocean. And um, it's some of the reef, reef species that we've got to be a little bit more careful about. Um, particularly, I think, groper. I think they're a little bit vulnerable. They're, they're a fish with a lot of character too. And, no, they um, are they're, they they are a rad fish, and I get it. I love shooting them too, but I, I think it's just a, a little bit of self-management with how, how much we shoot and how often we shoot them is, is kind of necessary. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I, I'm i not a tree hugger, um, mm. but I see the environment, and mm. I, I know what happens um, when you don't take care of it. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, we need to do a good job of, of taking care of our fisheries, and I, I don't care where you live in the world. Um, mm. you get involved. Um I, I, I used to do a lot of fisheries research for one of the organizations here locally and was, you know, really quite involved in it. And I, as a result, I learned an enormous amount about the ecosystem, um, mm. and, and the fish in it. And, um, I think I've got a very great appreciation for it. And one, one of the things that really disappoints me is when you get somebody that is an educator or a scientist and they, so I, I was at DEMA a few weeks ago. And this lady said to me, oh, I don't like spear fishermen. Hello, how are you? <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was basically how we were introduced was, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, the guy introducing us, you know, she, I was wearing a kill shot spear gun shirt. And she said, oh, I just don't like spear fishermen. And I, I found out that she does fisheries research over in the Bahamas. Mm. And I encouraged her, in, instead of coming out of, out of the gate with, I don't like spear fishermen, why don't you talk to them about what kind of fish it is and species that they like to go after and then maybe educate them a little bit. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, if more people would share their knowledge instead of, you know, being offended, I, th I think we'd all get along a little bit better. Oh yeah. Just antagonism from the start. So it's one way to not influence people. And yeah, uh, exactly. re regardless of your polit political or, or religious views, you should be able to have a rational discussion. And there's well, one thing I like about Joe Rogan podcast is he talks to everyone and, um, <laughs> You know, he just encourages people to just like, you know, we've, we, we share 95% of stuff in common with people. Like, you know, find the commonalities and just discuss the differences. There's no need to be such a dickhead about stuff, you know? No, I, I completely and, agree. 
But people get passionate about topics, and then all of a sudden, you know, th their topic sort of, you know, overrides their, their, their sort of their sense of empathy and understanding for, for everyone else. And I get it, but, uh, you know, she, she could influence a lot of spear fishermen by just having a five-minute five, five minute conversation about stuff. So, yeah, it's a good point. Hey, um, so we did hogfish. We talked about groper. Um, Jack Cravel, is that a species you target? <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> uh, not unless I want fertilizer. Um, so you don't like eating them? They're no good. No, I, I won't eat jack of all. Um, we do have some great jacks here, though. Um, we have something called a yellow jack um, that is that is pretty good. Um, they and they're pretty plentiful on the reef. They're they're on the reef and they're out further. Um, you've also got amberjack. Let's see, amberjack, banded rudderfish, lesser amberjack, and almaco jack. Mm -hmm. are, the, are the four amberjack relatives. Okay. Um, you know, triggerfish are absolutely delicious. Um, they can be kind of tough to, to skin, um, yeah. but there's a couple of tricks. Um, if you put the knife in right next to the trigger, that's a soft spot. And okay. then you work the knife around in a big circle, and then you literally grab it by, let's see, you grab it by the front or the tail. I can't remember, but you grab the skin, and you literally just peel the skin right off. Yeah. Yep. And then you separate it from the bones. Ah, okay. Yeah. Might, might have to see if I can find a Google video for that. That sounds cool. Yeah. I, one of these days I'll actually shoot one um, yep. because cleaning them, if you don't do it right, they, they'll ruin your knife. So, yeah, right on. But if you go in right on that, that um, fin that sticks up, that's, that's where you want to go in at. And you just kind of work around and they, they come apart pretty easy. So we had... Trigger fish, Almaco jacks, amber jacks. What was the other one you mentioned? Almaco jacks. Oh, yellow jacks. Yellow jacks. What do they look like? Well, they look kind of like an amber jack, um, but they don't have any of the markings on them. Okay. Um, they're kind of a pale silvery yellow color, typically. Okay. And they have a yellow tail. Oh, yeah, I know what they look like now. Yeah, yep, yep. I'm, I'm with you. I just Googled it. Uh, I, I might stick one in the comments as well. Yeah, okay. And they eat all right? They, they do. The one thing with them is, is that they don't have a lot of fat in their um, meat and you need to get the bloodline out but yeah. you cut the bloodline out and and do it be careful with it do it do a good job but try not to waste any meat do not overcook the fish and if 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 you guys leave with nothing else do not overcook your damn fish with yellow jack because they have very little fat they dry out really fast okay so um you know be be gentle with them when you cook them and mm. then with i'm one of these guys i don't know maybe i'm a weirdo I will poke anything, you know, find a tuna poke recipe and I, I will chop up anything and put it in a poke sauce and eat it. Okay. What's your go-to? How, how do you, how do you make a, a poke? Um, let's see. I use uh, about a, let's say a tablespoon of uh, soy sauce, tablespoon of ponzu sauce, teaspoon of honey, maybe a little bit more honey. I like it sweet. And, uh, um, so about an equal amount of rice wine vinegar. Okay. Uh, so a, a tablespoon of rice wine vinegar. And then I mince garlic and ginger. And then we chop up some green onions and uh, chuck it in a bowl. Oh, mm. if I've got cilantro or, or parsley or something like that, I'll throw that in too. Mm -hmm. But mix it up with the fish. A lot of times I'll take that out on the boat with us. And the first fish I see in the morning becomes breakfast. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and oftentimes it's a jack, and they're not jacks that I would normally eat. But because they're they're raw, they taste just fine. 
So, so do, you, do you chill the fish back for like five minutes or something before you do that, or you just chop it straight up and put it in? Um, yeah, usually what I do is, oh, oh you mean if, if, if we take one first thing in the morning? Yeah, will you ice? Will you ice it just to um, nah. sort of set the flesh? No, nah? okay. Well, sometimes if somebody's on the boat, we'll we'll have them chuck it in the in the cooler, and then usually I'll prepare it when I come up. Um, now here's the trick: it can't be a regulated species because you're not allowed to do that with a regulated species. So it's got to be yeah, some yeah. kind of species that there's no take limit on. Okay. Um, so now one of the things I've done, and I, I don't know how legal it is, but I have, um, one, one time I, I filleted a mackerel and we ate, we ate about half of it on the boat that day. Mm. And I left it, you know, basically the rest of it, the carcass in the core. Mm. Um, so the FWC boards the boat, they can still measure the fish. They can identify what it is because it's got a head and a tail and, you know, half of its skin. Mm. Ah, yep. Yep. But you know, I, I don't know if that's completely legal. Um, it sounds like you're trying to be legal, and you've got to hope that the fisheries officers would honour that. Yeah, I, I would hope so, but, you know, um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm not telling you to do it. Yeah, all right. So um, we've covered sort of a, a couple of species. Um, I, I, want to, I want to move into sort of some locations to go. Um, you, you've, you've covered broad spectrum some areas. If new guys come into your shop or new ladies come into your shop, which, where do you point them? What I try to do is find out what kind of diver they are. Um, in, in the Florida Keys, you can scuba dive and spearfish too. Hmm. Um, so if, if you're a scuba spearfisherman, you know, going out there, um, find some spot that's legal and, and knock yourself out. Um, if you're a free diver, you've got to find, find the right depth to dive because you don't want to be diving in 60 feet if you're a 20-foot free diver. Hmm. Um, but uh, oftentimes, I'll, I'll point people to the patch reefs that are in they're in 18 to 30 feet so okay. anywhere from what is that five meters to like 10 meters mm, um, mm. of water oftentimes you'll find big schools of fish on them but you won't find big fish on them okay uh, but you know you can go out and fill up your cooler with with mangrove snapper or catch your limit at one patch reef sometimes that sounds ideal for people you know um sort of in the early days oh yeah well and, and i encourage people too to shoot things like grunts we, we have a species of fish called a grunt, which is similar to a snapper. They have nice white meat, and there's several species that get big enough to, to consume, and they're plentiful. There's In most cases, there's no limit to the darn things. So they're, they're great if you're trying to break in a spear gun and learn how to use it, or you want to take the kids out, because they can usually get close enough to them to, to take them, even with a pole spear. Now, if, if you're up to diving anywhere from 10 to, to 20 meters, the main reef is the place to be. And what I tell people to do, um, there, there's a couple different reefs around here. So, like, we've got one reef here called, called Crocker Reef. And it's okay. well marked, lots of mark, markers. And oftentimes, on any given day, there'll be 10 boats sitting out there on the edge of Crocker. Those guys are usually in 70 to 100 feet. They're chumming the edge of the reef, and you know they've kind of got a lock on it. So you don't want to go dive there. You want to come inshore of that, dive 100, 150, 200 yards away from those boats at a minimum. Mm. Probably go down the reef a little ways. You know, it's our our reef here. I think is 164 miles long. Mm -hmm. um, so go find someplace else rather than the back of somebody's boat to go fish. But uh, get in and start start kind of working it, and what. We do different things. We sometimes get drugged behind the boat um, mm. on a line 
till we see a school of fish and then we'll stop. Sometimes like if I'm out, if, if I see structure that looks attractive, I stop and dive it. Yeah. So I do have some specific spots that I go to that I've learned over the years tend to hold fish, but usually I use that as more of an area thing. I, I go to that spot. I look at the direction of the tide or the current is moving and I drop in above it and I, I start 300 yards away from it, then over top of it and then 300 yards past it, you know? So it's, I'm covering a lot of ground. Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of spreads out, you know, your fishing impact, but it also gives you more opportunity to potentially see more as well. So that's pretty cool. We've got a spot that I call Jurassic park and it's, it's in 30 feet of water. It is a couple of cleaning stations that hold just some massive fish. Okay. And, uh, we will, we will go out there from time to time and we'll, we'll go shoot a, if, if somebody just absolutely has to have a grouper for some reason, we'll go there and we'll take one. But the rule is, and whenever I take anybody there, it, I got a couple of simple rules. We're allowed to take one fish, yeah. but we're not allowed to take the biggest fish. Ah, so nice. Big fish recruit big fish. So yeah, if you yeah. take a 50 pound fish, we're going to wind up with a bunch of 20 pound fish there. Mm. So, and, and maybe smaller. And if you overshoot the area, they're just not going to come back. They're, they're not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny. I think Groper in particular like that, they, they commune up. And um, if you find us one of those spots, it, it can be temptation to want to overfish them. So that's good. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've talked about locations. We've covered off species and sort of the broad sort of geographical area. What about like clubs and maybe freediving instructors in the area? So you yourself are an instructor. How often do you run courses? This time of year, um, I tend to run them kind of on demand um, mm-hmm. because the current is so bad. But like I've got one guy that I'm going to – we're working with him on Tuesdays. Yep. And then I've got some guys that are um, – the military parachute club or parachute okay. club, uh, the professional parachute guys in the military. I got a bunch of them that are getting started here in a couple of weeks. Okay. And yeah. So for them, it's, they, they're only able to go on Sunday. So we'll, we'll break it up and, you know, do them in different groups over different Sundays. So yeah, I, I, I try to get out there and do it as much as I can. And, and for me, I, I don't care what I'm doing. As long as I'm in the water, my face is buried. Um, I'm happy. So <laughs> and you, you see some cool stuff come up to that line sometime too. What is there a club in your area? Um, there is. And, and, and by the way, going back to freedive instructors, there's another guy down the road, formula freediving down a marathon. He, he does a fair bit of training as well. Okay. So, you know, there, you there's some options. It speaks highly of you that you would even mention your potential competitors. But I think like freediving and spearfishing, we don't have to, you know, treat everyone like they're your competition. So it's a, it's a good thing. What about the club? Clubs are tough, man. Um, I, <laughs> I tried to start a club uh, last year, and actually two years ago, and it kind of limped along. Now, I think part of it was timing. Um, we had had the hurricane um, a few months before, and... I just think everything, everybody had different things on their mind. Um, we've got roughly 25 people that are in the face, Facebook group. And for the most part, it's kind of a um, dive buddy finder. Mm. And yeah. to be honest with you, if that's all it does, that's absolutely fine as far as I'm concerned. You know, because the, the most important thing is, is that when you go out there, you have somebody to go with. Mm. You know, so many things can happen uh, when you dive alone. 
And I, I, I listened to your podcast just recently about diving alone. And, um, you know, as a free dive instructor, of course, I'd never, ever dive alone. Um, mm. But as, as a spear fisherman, I used to go all the time. There are things that I do that yeah. aren't the smallest. So it was a it was a big um, conversation to have, but um, it was it was time to have it. And I think like when you address it in a in a sort of a transparent way, like like we like I did, like we tried to do anyway. Um, you know, it it, it, lets, it allows people to think freely about it, and because yeah. um, a lot of guys, you know, they don't they don't listen at all. And so at least if you have the conversation, they you know, they, they realize, you know, what it's about. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. And so the way, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get some criticism for saying this, but the way I address it is, is that if I'm diving by myself, I'm diving by myself. Mm. If I'm diving with other people, I'm diving with other people. And I like them to be at the surface when I come up. Yeah. I like them to watch that fish go out the back door and, and begin to follow it as I'm making my ascent. Mm. You know, it, it's one of those things where as a group, we put more fish into the box. Mm. Um, and I won't dive with guys that wind up 200 yards away from me. I just will not, I, I won't tolerate it. It's, it's not safe. I'm, I'm relying on them to be there. Mm. If I'm out there on a day when we've got a 20 knot wind and it's, it's, we got three foot, uh, three foot waves, um, and we're diving, uh, 15 to, to 20 meters. Mm. I want somebody up there on the surface. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's 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 um it's understanding that risk properly and um and you know and dealing with it appropriately and and the the only safety mechanism you have when you're out there is your dive buddy so um yeah hundred percent get what you're saying um let's wrap up veterans fault um anything else for diving the Florida Keys is there any good um, resources or anything else we we mentioned the fisheries guide that hopefully I'll be able to link to in the interview. Um, was there any any other resources for guys wanting to start spearfishing locally in the Keys area? Well, um, they, they can certainly call the shop, and I'll try to get some stuff out on on the website as well. Um, there, I I can't really think of anything as far as resources go. A um, couple of things as far as exposure protection. If you come December, January, and February, we are plagued with Portuguese man of war. Okay. Um, sometimes we get a couple. A um, couple of weeks ago, we literally had to move because they were everywhere. So e exposure protection is an absolute must in those conditions. As, as far as the uh, temperature of the water, um, the, the temperature ranges between 70 degrees in the dead of winter up to about 90 degrees middle of the summer. In the shallow water, it can actually get quite, quite a bit warmer. It can get into the high 90s um, mm. wow. uh, sometimes. And uh, the shallow water really heats up and for those of you that are blessed with the metric system you know we're talking about between 21 and 32 uh, <laughs> degrees and yep. the the way i tend to rate the seasons is, is i have three millimeter season and i have one millimeter season mm. so and i wear a one millimeter in the summer um sometimes i'll wear a rash guard um but most of the time i wear a one and um I'll wear, um, you can get running pants, you know, the, the Lycra running pants. Yeah. 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 Those are excellent in the summer. Um, mm. you know, they, they, they're form fitting, they don't create a lot of drag and they, they keep the sun off of you. And if you happen to have a jellyfish or a man of war or something like that, touch you, it's not getting through that Lycra. The other thing I like about those 
lycra pants as you can go straight from the water to riding a bicycle to the coffee shop where you can have a have a cappuccino and no one no no one will even sneer at you that's what a speedo's for <laughs> you're up with you're up with your aussie slang it's great um yeah. <laughs> funniest thing um what's one of the funniest things you've you've seen out in the water i'm gonna go way 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 back um, okay, so I, I mentioned that I was given this crappy Voigt spear gun when I was a kid. So a few months ago, a friend of mine on Facebook and guy I went to high school with, when he found out I had started a spear gun company, he reminded me of something that happened. So we're, <laughs> we're out behind my house. I've just gotten a spear gun and uh, we've loaded it and he's holding it up and he kind of got his elbow cocked and he's kind of holding it up with both hands and he pulls the trigger and the spear gun goes right back into his eye. It turned him into a pirate. <laughs> I was pretty pissed because it broke the lanyard and the damn shaft went out about 20, 20, 30 yards out into the river. And, you know, the river's 25 feet deep and full of mud. Yeah. And uh, so I spent the next two days trying to find that shaft. Um, but meanwhile, Jack had a, a puffy eye. So... <laughs> <laughs> do you, you've used firearms but do you know the weatherby eyebrow oh yeah <laughs> we don't really have that saying in spearfishing but it's similar isn't it yeah that's exactly yeah. well that's something like whenever i get somebody that i'm teaching to spearfish i always yeah. tell them lock that arm you know yeah, otherwise yeah. you're gonna have a hell of a headache Everyone does it though, eh? At least once. It's just like, oh, yeah. it's a rite of passage, just like like smashing a scope into your eye with a rifle. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I've, I've got a code brown that I got to okay. discuss. Oh, another code brown. <laughs> <laughs> it's mandatory. We should probably change the name to the shit podcast. There's just that much, there's that many poo stories. So, we, we actually have a place where we used to hunt lobster. Well, we still hunt lobster, and it's called the shithole. <laughs> you can imagine why yeah so one day I'm, I'm out on the boat and we, we were actually fishing we weren't we weren't spear fishing but this this made me laugh i i laughed hysterically for about 30 minutes i'm on the boat and i've got to go so i i drop my drawers and i hang my butt over the side and i'm holding on to the center console <laughs> and uh, uh we're in a little bay boat and my dad's in the boat with me and yeah. he's on the other side. He's like doing his best not to um, deal with this. And of course, <laughs> everybody knows that you don't pee down or pee, pee uphill. You don't poo uphill either. <laughs> so I, I got downwind. You know, mm -hmm. I was polite. I got downwind and I took a dump. <laughs> we, were, we were fishing with this bright yellow drift anchor. Yeah. And it was it was right above or right below where my dad's standing. And all of a sudden these turds start going into the drift <laughs> anchor. <laughs> and he starts gagging. <laughs> so bad that I fell over and I got run over by the boat. The boat's just drift. <laughs> the boat rolled me over and I'm only in about four feet of water. Um, uh, and of course where do I end up? In the mm. goddamn drift anchor. <laughs> uh, I'm still trying to get a, get over why every poo floats. Like, what, what what's up with that? You know, like why can't they sink? It's it's it'd be much it'd be much better and easier to hide. 
<laughs> oh my god yeah it's uh i don't i don't have an answer for that shrek i really don't <laughs> it's the funniest thing too about this podcast too because every single sparrow has got awkward poo stories in the ocean so it's fantastic upgrading the composite or carbon fiber spearfishing fins is a huge step in your spearfishing journey and you want to make a smart investment so i'm going to suggest investing your moolah in penetrator fins these fins have got a long-lasting performance they've got a warranty that outperforms anything else in the industry check them out at penetratorfins.com their before and after sale service is absolutely phenomenal these fins are being worn by champions all over the world check them out at penetratorfins.com for a limited time only use the code noobsparrow to save $25 on any purchase of composite or carbon fiber fins check them out penetratorfins.com Spearing Magazine, possibly the world's best spearfishing publication. It's a spearing mag for Spearows by Spearows. Part of the reason I like Spearing Magazine so much is because there's crazy stories from Spearows just like you, from all around the world. And it's what makes Spearing Magazine such a special publication. If you go to spearingmagazine.com, check out the article submissions page there's a full guide to how to submit an article but i would encourage you to do so because i want to read about your adventures and inspire everyone else to take on their next spearfishing adventure that's at spearingmagazine.com what about your dive bag um i bet you you've got a kill shot spear gun in there i i always have at least three <laughs> three oh yeah well i'm i'm shameless so Ooh. um I'm always trying to put them into people's hands. Yeah, you know that's that sounds fair enough. Yeah, no, it's it. That's one of those things that um, some people bring extra shafts on a day. Um, I usually bring two or three guns. I <laughs> so a few years ago I got out and I shot a fish and it it bent my shaft. I and okay. I, we hadn't been in the water ten minutes. Oh, I get no. back in, get back in the boat, get back in the water. I got my second gun. I pop another fish and he immediately goes in a rock, bends my mm. shaft. At this point, 25 minutes has elapsed. Oh, so I come man. up, and as I'm getting into the boat, I ask my buddy if I can borrow a spear gun. Um, I got to drive the boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing, one thing, um, like you guys are out in 25, 30-foot boats, so you've got plenty of room. But sometimes the boats we use here, like sometimes it's kind of the smaller the better. There's this sweet spot. It's like... 17, 18 foot. We love boats like that because they're economical. They can go offshore. And but the problem is you get four blokes on it, or or, or, or you know what, four spearers or spearers. And um, you're you just, if everyone's got three or four spear guns, there's nowhere for them to bloody go. Yeah. No, that's but, that's absolutely true. You and I'm really careful about that. I always ask people before mm. I get on on the boat, and and as, this is part of etiquette. Um, mm. I always ask them about gear storage and about, you know, I'll, I'll tell them, hey, do you mind if I bring a couple of spear guns? You know, because I, I usually bring a 40 and a 55. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll bring two 55s with me. Sometimes I'll throw in something different, you know, because I've yeah. I got a new gun that I want to try out. But uh, I, I always ask because if if they're not set up for it or it's going to be a big mess or, oh, we're going to have six people in the damn boat. Well, God, you got a dozen spear guns sitting back there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can set people off. 
So you carry three spear guns out with you. What about the rest of your dive bag? Yeah, so so typically I've got three. I I have fifty meter reels on on most of the guns. I mm. always take a Neptun. Well, I, I've got um, several different floats um, that I use. I've I've got a Neptonics float that I've been using uh, lately, and um, I've got a, a hundred foot float line and I've got a seventy five foot float line. Okay. And so for for you guys that are new. If you have a 50-foot float line and you dive to 45 feet, you're not mm. going to be able to hit a damn thing because mm. the float is going to be yanking on the gun the entire time. Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is get uh, a float that is about – or I'm sorry, a float line that's about a third longer than what I'm going to be diving. That way I've yeah. got a little bit of slack in it. Mm. So so I've got a 100 and a, and a 75. It depends on where we're going and who I'm going with that day, but usually I'll take one of those too. Are you are you using a rigid buoy or an inflatable? No, it's an inflatable. Okay, that's nice because it can fold down, and and this is one of it's not like a three atmosphere or anything like that. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's orally inflated, so it folds right down, and I can blow it right up. And float line material? Do you like the 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 PVC stuff that everyone's using, or do you prefer like a hard line type thing? No, I've I've got um, the PVC float lines. I've got one, it's 11 years old, and it, it's ugly, and it looks like crap, but I can't <laughs> throw it away because it still works. It doesn't leak. Yeah. You know, so everybody says, oh, those, those vinyl ones, they'll, you know, sooner or later, they're going to they're gonna crap out. Well, mm. I'm still waiting. I had a hard plastic-coated one that's sealed on the inside uh, with a hard line on, on the inside, and that thing was bloody awesome, but um, I got wrapped i shot saying it hold up and wrapped around a rock and current one day and punctured it and then it was just shit after that that was the end of it and it's quite an expensive exercise um so i, I know you can repair them but i was uh, yeah so the pvc is kind of the next sort of upgrade but they're bloody expensive yeah yeah they 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 are i mean they're about a hundred bucks um mm. you know so they're not cheap um this one's got a what 1800 pound dyneema in it or something like that you know so it's 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 really sturdy hmm. um but uh during during lobster season we'll find lobster underneath of a rock and we'll we'll go down and we'll tie it to that rock and then we'll pull down on it and it, this is the the crappy yellow one that i have i just can't seem to i don't know sooner or later we'll run it over with the boat <laughs> i'll get a new one um, <laughs> so i i've i've got a scuba max mask uh, yep. that I've been diving and their masks are really soft. I like them. Um, I've got a CX, uh, wide bore snorkel mm. and get great, great air. And it's a simple J snorkel. I can't be bothered with a, a purge valve. Yeah. Uh, I use a Marseille style belt. I like being able to cinch that thing down and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fat bastard. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, uh, being able to, to, to make all that weight stay on my waist is important to me. Yeah, um, you're, you're in good company. So yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of us. Yeah. So um, the weight belt's got a D-ring on it, mm. and that D-ring, I clip a light to it sometimes. Other times, I'll clip my gun to it when I'm getting drugged behind the boat. Yeah. Um, I, I use that D-ring constantly. I've got a red tide dive knife. Um, I love those. Um, I've got a polo sub suit. Um, they're, they're not real expensive. Um, I hear, I hear really good things about them though. Oh, I love them. So mm. I, I, again, I'm not exactly an off the rack guy and mm. I get into that polo sub suit. It's a three mil suit and I've worn that 
suit in water as low as 65 degrees. Mm. So this this summer we were diving into water that was as cold as 57. Mm. And the surface temperature was warmer. But, mm. you know, I just love that suit. It's very comfortable. Anything else in your dive bag? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got everything in, in a dive shop, it seems like. Um, you're, got, you're a gear guy. <laughs> yeah, I've got, yeah, exactly. Well, I've, I've got GFT Carbonio fins. I love those. I, I've had them. I've had the pair that I have right now for two years, and I use them for swim or for pool training. I use them. I, I use them everywhere. And and the one thing I'll tell you guys is, spend a little bit of extra money and get carbon fiber fins. You, you, it makes a difference. Uh, Just the the proviso, like on that one, is like shore based guys that are um, jumping in off rock, rocks and that. Like the carbon fibers got much better, and some of the manufacturers are pretty good, but. It's they're not as robust as like a good set of composite or or plastic fins, but I 100% agree with you. I wear carbons myself. I love them. Yeah, yeah, I I, I love them to death. They're they're great. They make it easy. They make life easy. They do, and and I notice it immediately when I switch switch fins. It's like oh my god, you know, I'm carrying around two anchors on my feet, but yeah. it it's not really that bad. But mm. it, there are times where it's like I I'm wondering why I'm working so hard. I think the other the other thing I got when I started wearing carbons was um, the fatigue, like in your ankles and your legs. When you get home that night and the next day, it's just not there. Like, um, yeah. You, 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 yeah. And then the other thing with that was wearing a set of foot pockets that actually fit properly. So yeah, big time. Yeah, you know the thing is, you're going to be in this this stuff for hours and hours. Um, mm. So one of the best tips I can give people is buy stuff that fits and is comfortable. You know, and if it's not comfortable, buy something else or see if see if your local retailer will work with you a little bit. Um, you know, if they got demo stuff you can wear um, mm. or try mm. out. Life is life is too short to have blisters. So I'd love I'd love to see every spearfishing shop with a little swimming pool out the back and you know and trial gear. But the reality is most most shops can't afford it. It's it's um, tricky. But yeah, I. I 100% agree, agree with you. It's nice to try before you buy. Um, sometimes the the pool training groups can be a real good place to try out gear as well because everyone's oh, yeah, got everyone's got stuff. I think I sold like um, I, I uh, Larry um, Larry from Penetrator Fins sort of sponsors the show, and um, just by letting people use my fins at training, a lot of people went out and bought them. Um, so it's weird. People just want to have a go before they buy something, especially when you're spending big money well and that's something in in free diving classes a lot of times i'll set somebody up with a demo set of fins um mm. to, to use while they're they're out in open water mm. and usually usually what i'll do is i'll have them do that and then i'll have them put on a set of plastic fins they don't want to take those carbon fibers back off <laughs> yeah that's an easy upsell that one once you've yeah. once you've had them on yeah it's pretty horrible so <laughs> the Couple, couple other things. I, I mentioned that I, I put a shark shield in my bag. Um, I'm, I'm a believer. Flashers, man. I do not leave home without flashers. Yeah, nice. Throw flashers. It, everybody thinks, oh, you throw a throw flasher and a wahoo's going to come in and you know, you're know you going to shoot the wahoo. Yeah, that happens. But a couple of weeks ago, we were out on a reef. It was right before grouper season closed. And I threw the flasher in. And I, I'm just watching it drop. We're in 10 meters of water. And I, I just I didn't see anything on the bottom. But I figured, well, what the hell? Give it a try. Nothing came in, so I dropped down. And as I get down to the bottom and I start swimming over to where the flasher is, there's a big grouper sitting right in front of it. Yeah, right, huh? All right. Well, you know, now he came home for dinner. 
So that, that was a red group. That was a red grouper, and I don't feel as bad about shooting them. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a throw flasher. Is that a pipe style throw flasher, or? Um... Yeah, I I do both. A well, I I've got a whole bunch of different ones that I've I've made over the years, but blade blade style and uh, the pipe ones. The pipe ones that I make sink at a rate of about a foot every two and a half to three seconds. Okay. And the blade style is slower than that. It uh, about a foot every five seconds. So to put that into metric, with the blade style, you're looking at about a meter every probably ten to fifteen seconds. Okay. Yeah, it's nice. It's, it's slow. With the pipe one, it it's about you know three times as fast. Yeah. So or at least twice as fast. So I give you guys a little tip that I use. We're in ten meters of water, and I've got a ledge in front of me. And, um, or not in front of me, I'm on the surface and I'm looking down at it. So I'll throw the throw flasher out into the sand, you know, a little distance in front of the, the ledge. And then I'll let it sink all the way down to the, to the sand. I can't tell you how many times a reef fish has come out to go check out the flasher. And then he's going back in underneath. Now I know he's there. So I can set up a stalk and go down and pop that fish. Yeah. Nice. It's little, little crazy things like that that I figured out that that one, you know, you've got to be patient. Um, I guess you could just swim down there and swim along the edge, um, you know, maybe get lucky. But mm. when you know they're there, you can actually put together a game plan. And some of these fish are pretty cagey. So yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to hear how it's working on reef fish. Like, because um, a lot of the time we just think of it for getting, um, you know, king, king mackerel or, or, you know, some pelagic species. But, yeah, that's really cool. I like it. Yeah, I I always use them. I always have them in my belt. Um, and I, I would say that for mackerel in particular, probably 90% of the mackerel that I've shot over the last 10 years um, have come in on a throw flasher. Yeah, so, right. You know, they, they just can't help themselves. And barracuda, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they fall in love with it, touch it three or four times, and then they get a headache. <laughs> but if, if you can get them distracted, you know, anything that you can do to put yourself in a in – a, better situation to, to take that fish it, at the end of the day it's about taking it quickly and ethically so mm -hmm. yeah no i love it yeah um any parting stuff with gear or should we move on to spiro q a um no we can move on to spear and spiro q a yeah cool cool i'm gonna pick three or four sort of faster paced questions and then uh we'll wrap this sucker up here but um what is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? <laughs> um, speed isn't your friend. Um, slow down and relax. Just just slow down. If, if you think you're going slow enough, slow down some more. Who's the best best person in your life that you, to go spearfishing with and why? The guy that's going to be there when I get back up to the surface. Okay. Give me some names. Some names. Go. Who are some of your favorite dive buddies? So... I, I dive with a guy named Luke Flyter down the road every now and then. Um, yep. uh, 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 Steve Padigas. Okay. Um, God. Oh, Charles Charles O'Connor. You know. Yeah. Um, and and his his partner in crime Murphy. Um, okay. Brian Murphy. Cool. It's good to have a it's good to have a dive crew. You know, people you can rely on. Yeah, like uh, when you guys are trying to, or new ladies are trying to break into crews, it can be a real hard thing. You know, it's just finding that reliable crew. They show up, they pay up, they help out, and they and they and they got you back. And you, they're worth they're worth gold. And um, and, and and to kind of ingratiate yourself with people, 
offer to pay for gas, ask what you can bring and what mm. you shouldn't bring, and then maybe tone it down a little bit. I, I got a friend that went out one time and, and he kind of made an ass of himself yelling at a boat that went by. And mm. um, the guy that owned the boat didn't really care for it very much. And, you know, can't say I blamed him. Now, he, he got invited back out, but it was one of those things where he had a lot of reservations about inviting him back out. Yeah, it's a red flag. Yeah. And and depending on who it is, you, sometimes you only get one of those. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, what's the single best resource for improving your spearfishing? Well, I think it's the Noob Spiro podcast. <laughs> I was hoping for the answer, man. It was a loaded question. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I, I figured that, that there, in fact, I, I've even written it down. You are, exclamation point. Noob Spiro has taught me a lot. So, but <laughs> awesome. I've also I've also got a couple of people out there that that I lean on. Um, so there's a guy named Well, we talked about him briefly um, before the interview. Gr Tar, mm. um, he lives up in the Tampa Bay area. The guy's been spearfishing um, almost as long as I've been alive, mm. and he is he's just an awesome dude. If I got a weird problem or something, um, I'll call him up and ask him an opinion. And I talked to Jerry Guerrera at Neptonics an awful lot, too. Last question, Ed. Um, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Oh, what does it mean to me in one sentence? Hmm. Um, for me, it's, it, it's pretty simple. It's, it, it, it's how I relax. Um, hmm. You know, for, for me, it's one of those things. It, it, it's absolutely a passion, but it's, it's how I relax. When when I have a really shitty week or something crazy happens, if I go go spearfishing, I come back and I'm recharged. I'm good. Yeah. Hey, Ed, um, not only did we do one awesome interview, but we've had two now. I'd encourage people to head back and listen to our um, episode on um, spear gun building. But today was... Uh, bloody awesome. I hope people that are interested in spearfishing in the Florida Keys check in and see you at uh, Killshot Spear Guns in Is Isla Morada. Did I say that right? Yep. Close. Yep. Isla Morada. But Isla Morada, yeah. Hold it against you. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a, just a Kiwi. What do you do, man? I've exactly. I was flat out just getting through intermediate, let alone high school. Um, and um, people can come and find you. you. I'll link it up in today's show notes. So if we go to um, newspero.com forward slash ed2, and uh, I'll have um, I'll have links to Killshot Spear Guns on Instagram, YouTube. People can come and check out your shop, your website. Um, but, yeah, awesome, Ed. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thank you. I, I really had a great time, Shrek. Cool, man. We're, we're out of here. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Ed Martin, what a cool dude, and uh, also a patron listener of the show. Um, some mad takeaways today about diving in the Florida Keys, and um, just an awesome, solid dude. Really good to yarn to and just talk spearfishing. You can see passion is evident, and uh, there's always takeaways from, from uh, these guests, and Ed was just fantastic to join me for a second time. If you uh, really enjoyed it, go back and listen to the DIY Timber Spear Gun, because that was a cracker episode as well. That was a one, two, three, Ed Martin, the DIY Wood Spear Gun. Um, in two weeks, we are off to talk with some Kiwi marine scientists, and we get geeky and fish nerdy on on the marine environment, and uh, it's pretty cool. Blair Herbert uh, joins me. He sort of helped tee this thing up, 
and I uh, got three of them on the line and um, I'm not sure how great the audio quality is going to be, just a warning in advance, but uh, nevertheless I really enjoyed it and always learn a few things when you talk to these people that this is what they do all, all the time and they're super stoked about it and uh, as usual, if you love the show, leave a review but also come to patreon.com forward slash jump on and become a patron listener, every single dollar raised goes to funding trips where I get to come out and hang out with listeners, record live podcast interviews on the road and actually go spear fishing so yeah all good catch you in a fortnight it's two weeks marine scientist interview let's do it kill shot spear guns timber guns made in the usa simple effective dependable made in the florida keys by ed martin these spear guns are an absolute work of art check them out at killshotspearguns.com and hey i've got a special for you 30 bucks off user code noob that's just noob N-O-O-B. For a limited time only, save $30 on any spear gun at Killshot Spear Guns. Save 30 bucks on any spear gun. Check it out. This episode of the Noob Spear Podcast is brought to you by spearfishing.com.au. They've been on board for more than 100 episodes, and I'd love for you to shop at spearfishing.com.au. They have a price beat guarantee, hassle-free returns, flat shipping rates across Australia, and you can save 20 bucks. For every purchase over $200, if you use the code NoobSparrow, you save $20. Thanks for supporting the Noob Sparrow podcast and shopping with spearfishing.com.au.